0: Our gospel lesson today comes from John chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. I would advise all to stand for the reading of the gospel. John 10, 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. and uh, And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have to admit that my knowledge of sheep is is not not, uh, abundant. And so I've done a bit of research in the last couple of weeks kind of getting ready for this. And um, interestingly, sheep, uh, well, they're not very easily trained. I mean, you think about all of the, the carnivals and all of the circuses and the sideshows and the sea worlds you've been to, and you think of the animals that are trained to, to do things like whales and sea lions and, and tigers and bears and mice. And, but you've probably never seen like Uncle Simon's uh, dancing sheep. <laughs> there, there's, not, there's not many of those out there, and I, I, I googled it, uh, and apparently they don't connect with human beings at a relational level like other animals can do, and, and they're not terribly intelligent, and so they don't really, and they're really hard to work with. So I've had a few experiences with sheep, uh, mostly, um, actually, Uh, in a couple of visits that I made to Scotland. And so um, on my first visit there, uh, we went to St. Andrews. I think we have a picture here. Uh, That's the old course uh, at St. Andrews, Scotland. And that's where where, uh, golf was invented. And it was invented by some soldiers who got bored at night and had nothing to do, uh, which, you know, and, and they were out in the fields where the sheep grazed. And so they started hitting things you know, around with a stick. And um, they got in trouble because they were taking it very seriously, as some golfers can do. And so they, they shut it down so that they wouldn't let the soldiers play golf. And, but eventually it took on, and of course, it became sort of the sport of gentlemen. And so the old course is, is where golf started. Now, we were able to go over as a family And we got in 18 holes at the old course. Now, I like to say that, and for my golf snob friends, I just stopped there. Because it's nearly impossible to get to play a round of 18 on the old course. You have to be a very good golfer. But I don't tell them that there's a putt-putt course right there on the other side of the wall. And and it's right by the clubhouse. So for all of us tourists who don't know anything about golf, uh, we get to take our pictures there. And there's the stone bridge that all the champions could go on, and so, so I was there. Um, so, so then that, that was that was St. Andrews. I was able to go for about six days um, back, probably 2010, 11, and stay on the little island of Iona, Scotland, uh, for uh, with a group of pastors as we were studying the Iona community. Uh, St. Columba brought the gospel to the people of, of, of Scotland on the, that small island. that's two miles long, one mile wide. And uh, all of the kings of Scotland, the ancient kings of Scotland, are buried there. Uh, and right next to the, to the abbey, which they've rebuilt from the 6th century ruins. The Books of Kells was written there and then taken to Ireland because the Vikings kept trying to kill all the monks. And so they decided uh, it's probably not our best spot. But Iona is sort of the spiritual capital for the people of Scotland, a lot of tourists that go there, a lot of pilgrimages. And so we were there for six days and, and we prayed a lot, but you know, there's always so much you can pray in six days. And So uh, we asked, you know, well, is there a way, could we place, is there a golf course on this island? They well, there is. But it's not really an official golf course. They said, so they told us to go to this man's house. And we go there, and he's got like three bags of golf clubs. And he says, "They go down to that gate, make sure it's shut, because there's sheep, there are cows out grazing. But you'll see the flags. And, and we said, well, well, what happens if, like, the sheep don't get out of the way? And he said, well, just hit the ball, and they'll move. Them. And, and we said, well, what, what if we hit them? And he said, just hit the ball, and I guarantee them they'll move. So, so we did. We hit the ball, and it and moved. And so we have a few pictures of that. You can see, there they are, sitting on the green. And uh, a little further away, uh, there's a little orange one there. And, and you see these, um, you see the sand there. Um, sand traps is what we call them. The fascinating thing is that the sand traps in Scotland are natural. It's what the sheep dig into to stay out of the wind, and so it's not something that they made to make the course more difficult. It's just simply what sheep do when they're cold. Uh, so when we come to America, we had to, of course, we had to duplicate that. So we brought we brought sand, and we make uh, we make sand traps. But anyway. Uh, and then the next picture uh, is uh, uh, is the cow, and um, he makes he makes his own hazards uh, for playing golf, uh, and uh, uh, we had to watch that too. Uh, but then it saves a lot of money on you know mowing grass, and you know you just let it. Graze. That's how it started in a grass plan. And sheep would sheep would go there, and they they would uh, they would graze. Today's sermon is all about the sheep and the shepherd. And there are four kind of foci that I, I think are important for us. And the first one is to understand the shepherd image that it is, was a part of Israel. Um, when you go back to the early days when Moses was keeping the flock for his, his father in law Jethro and Midian, he was. Uh, walking by and and came to the burning bush, which sometimes I confuse with the singing bush on the Three Amigos, but it's not the same thing. And so, um, but there was this bush that begins to speak and uh, tells him that he is calling him to be a great leader and to to lead the people of of Israel out of Egypt. And of course, Moses comes up with every good excuse possible and. And the, the bush is not having it, And so um, uh, finally he goes, well, if I do this, by whose authority am I going to, am I going to tell them that, that they need to leave Israel? How am I going to go to Pharaoh and the people of Israel? And he said, tell them that uh, I am that I am said so. Now that's the greatest not answer to a question probably in the history of the world. Uh, names meant something. And if you knew somebody's name, then you know a little bit about them. If you're John Third, that tells you something about someone's life, that there were Johns that preceded them. If your last name is McClure, that tells you a little bit about my history. I will be who I will be, or I am who I am, doesn't give anything away. And God was making it very clear that he would not be a God who would be Confined to a definition of a name, that he exceeded the capacity of a name, and so the word Yahweh, which is the is the is the Hebrew word for "I, I am who I am," uh, becomes a very sacred uh, sacred word, and you wouldn't speak that word ever. And you might say the name as as a as a filler. Um, when scribes were writing the scrolls, they would leave it blank and do a special purification to go back and write the name of Yahweh in the blanks. And so it was a bit of a surprise for Jesus to just sort of look at everybody and say, Yahweh, the good shepherd. I means the shepherd had been the image of God in Israel for, for uh, millennia, um, he was he was the shepherd in Psalm 23, and and so for for Jesus to say at first to use the word Yahweh, which was a holy word that no one ever spoke, and then to say I am God, the shepherd, the good shepherd, was was a huge uh, a folk. It, you didn't do that. It's, it's kind of like you know the guy that was in the LSU section when I went to the Alabama basketball game. And, I don't know what happened to him, but I'm sure it wasn't good. But anyway, he <laughs> wouldn't stop. Um, and and Jesus, Jesus says it. And, and so it's critical to understand that Jesus is now saying, just as God was the shepherd of Israel, now I am the shepherd of Israel. And that was a huge statement that would get you killed, and it did. But that's what he was saying second uh, I think real key idea in this this passage is the concept of the Good Shepherd versus the hired hand the Pharisees of Jesus day were in charge of the temple and they were in charge of the religious ceremonies and there was a whole lot of pomp and circumstance and a lot of politics and people wanted to have certain positions and uh, that preserving that institution was uh, was important. The difficulty became that as the Pharisees tried to preserve that institution, they forgot about their real purpose, which is to help people know God. And so they they failed really at their overall purpose was for Israel to be a light to the world, and it became just simply trying to maintain the institution that existed. I truly believe that our world is in the midst of a reformation in the church. Um, I have been a part of three different denominations in my lifetime who are all struggling over different issues but at the core of it is the how to protect the institution rather than how to carry out the mission that Christ gave to us. Now I'm sure they wouldn't put it in those words but from the outset outside looking in, you realize that this is not very different from what the Pharisees were trying to do in the day of Jesus. And they failed. Because in 70 AD, Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth for all practical purposes. It was uninhabitable for, for, for uh, centuries.
1: And so I think we are facing
0: this difficulty. And, and what it usually revolves around is when the church gets away from its roots, its its roots in Scripture, to understand that it is through Scripture that we know who we are about. There there are other things that kind of seep in that don't seem too bad, but over time, they do. It's not the first time it's happened. Martin Luther experienced it in 1517. He was... Pastor at uh, Wittenberg Church. I think we have a picture of the of the church there, the cathedral. And he n- nailed ninety-five theses to the wall, or to the to, not to the wall, but to the door, sort of a bulletin board. This it's, it's used to be say, "Hey, let's have a conversation." He was a brilliant theologian, and young and trying to understand the church, and what he saw did not reflect anything about what. Was reading in the original texts. He was excellent at Greek and at Hebrew, and and he realized that the church had little to do with what he was reading. It was um, the the two things that finally got him that that were over the top was the merit system, whereby the saints had more merit, and by somehow doing pilgrimages or, or, or giving to that saint. You could borrow from their merit, and that can get you forgiveness of sins. That culminated when uh, they were trying to build St. Peter's Basilica, which went over budget just a tad, and uh, they were trying for some creative ways to pay for it. And so the Pope said, if you give to the building fund, then the old, the old, uh, the old phrase was, when the coin and the coffers uh, claim your, the, your. Uh, your, your, your relative soul from Purgatory Springs and basically you got your family members out of Purgatory by giving to the building fund. Now I, I recommended that to Bill last time we did one. <laughs> but, um, but then there was the you could buy you could pay for your sin, your forgiveness before you commit the sin. Now that's a pretty good deal. I mean, you know, it's an an open-ended thing. And Luther looked at this and he said, this has nothing to do, nothing to do with why Jesus came to the world. And so the Protestant Reformation began. And I think we're in a sort of a similar Reformation moment. We are seeing religion, we're seeing our faith, the gospel being permeated by Things like prosperity gospel, where Jesus came so that we could, you know, have an easier life and make money and be blessed all the time. No, well, God never promised us rose-tary. There are people who want to take Scripture and somehow make it conform to the politics of a certain country, that's in a certain race, or in a certain time. When Jesus, Jesus was two thousand years ago, he wasn't writing about politics in a, in a country uh, for two thousand years in the future. And then there are social issues that crop in, where they're important things, but they they become adopted as the most important thing the church does. And in every case where the church has faced this, the way that it has found its footing again is what's called sola scriptura, going back to, to scripture alone. Now, there are other things that can help us understand scripture, certainly science can, and certainly... Uh, our experience with God can, and some religious tradition of how people have interpreted the past. At the end of the day, Scripture is is what we have to get back to. And that's one of the reasons why we keep pushing small groups and Bible studies. Bill and I did a series, we have a series out, a video series for this uh, sermon series. And if you're interested, I teach uh, on Tuesday mornings at, uh, at 10 and then after dinner on Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm going through these. And we'll go through this particular Sunday on this passage. Um, so, but we want you in some small groups studying Scripture because that's how you know what God's, what the Shepherd is saying. We we learn that by knowing the Scripture and what He has said, but we also learn that through hearing His voice. And knowing that voice of God that's speaking to us, I remember as a child, my father had the greatest, loudest, shrillest whistle that I've ever that that I've come across. And uh, it was the good old days, you know. There weren't any fences. There weren't really a lot of rules. Kids got kicked out of the house at eight. You come back for dinner at four, and. Um, there there weren't fences for dogs either so they ran around and got in fights all the time it was a great time um, but I knew that when I heard my father's whistle it was time for and I had about five minutes before that became an issue I knew it I knew the sound Jesus says my sheep know my voice and so we need to hear God and pray and meditate and know his voice so when that whistle goes off we know yeah, something's not right. The fourth thing that I find in this passage is the very simple and humbling truth of who Jesus is and who we are. Jesus said, "I am the gate." Some translations say, "I am the sheep gate." And to understand that, you have to understand the shepherding in that time and still today is usually done in some sort of a, a, a cave or structure that gives some protection. And then the shepherds would pile up rocks in front of the cave so that the sheep would be pinned in. And where the gate is at night, a good shepherd would lay across the gate. So the sheep couldn't get out. And if the wolf wanted the sheep, he had to come through the shepherd. And Jesus says, I am that sheep gate. This is the one who would leave the 99 and find the one to protect them. This is the shepherd who would fight the battles and fight the enemies for us because he loves us. This is the shepherd who would and did give his life for us. And so I am so humbled that someone so grand could love someone like me so small so that I can be found and not lost. I invite us to close the sermon this morning by remembering a few more things about the Good Shepherd. Let's recite together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Amen. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fill thee in Thou art with me. Thy rod and my staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would invite us to stand and turn to hymn number 90. The king of love for my shepherd is let's stand as we sing